Hi everyone, it's Paul Ward and welcome to another edition of Farm Talk. I'm excited because our guest today is Fire Chief Greg Fish in Carpinteria, California. Chief, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. One thing that uh, is on people's minds, I think, in this area are large wildland fires. Uh, we've had what seems like fire, big fires uh, for the last several years, um, actually in the middle of winter, which is kind of odd. And, um, you know, I know that people are working to uh, fight fires and uh, prevent fires. What do you think is the most important thing for people to know when it comes to, to large fires? Well, so first and foremost, um, these fires that burn uh, are mostly controlled by the wind, right? So if a fire started like it did in Fillmore, in the Fillmore area during the Thomas fire, it was fueled by really fast and dry winds. Uh, those winds were unprecedented mm -hmm. that they burned, uh, that, that they pushed the burn as far as it did uh, west. So when the winds blow, we're, we're kind of at the mercy of Mother Nature at that point. But what, there are some certain things that we can do to prepare to make sure that the impact from those fires is minimized. One of those things is do good vegetation management around your house or around your farm to make sure that there's no place for the fire to connect to a house or a structure or a barn or whatever have you. And that's done by making sure that the native vegetation, which burns really well, is managed to a, an area where, uh, at least for like cheatgrass, mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to have that cheatgrass more than about two inches growing. So you take your weed whacker and whack it down to about two inches. Never go down to mineral earth because then the water, when it rains, will create a problem as well. And that's when you get you know, mud flows and debris flows. Second to that would be uh, native vegetation such as a sumac tree or a bush. You want to make sure those are limbed up so that there's no ladder fuels to take it to the higher uh, pines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, uh, you want to space everything out. So you don't have to clear the land off to mineral earth. Never would we recommend that you do that. But that, that'd be one way. The second thing is you need to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And so one of the plans that we, we subscribe to, and this is basically all over the, the world. They, they do this in Australia. They do it in the Mediterranean. Or in the Mediterranean. It's called Ready, Set, Go. And you can Google Ready, Set, Go at any given time. There's, there's many websites, including our own uh, Carpinteria Summerlin Fire Protection District has a Ready, Set, Go brochure. And what it tells you to do is be ready. So have a plan. If you've got to evacuate, have at least one or two paths out away from your house to go somewhere. Where are you going to go? Mm -hmm. Right? That's ready. And then set. When the time comes, you should have a bag ready to pack. Put your medications in it. Put your valuables in it. Stuff that can't be replaced like photographs. Put those things in there. And then when the time comes, when they turn on the switch and they say it's time to evacuate, you go. You get in your car, you take your bags, you have that pre-plan set up already, and you just deliver yourself to a safe area until the fire passes through. And when the fire department is uh, done dealing with the problem in your neighborhood or around your farm, mm -hmm. you can go back and you can repopulate. Mm -hmm. If somebody had a question specific, specific to their property about how to make it, uh, make it safe, can they, can they actually call the fire department and they'll come out? I know there's a deadline for for brush clearance where you're driving around and making sure that you know properties are, are taken care of. But if somebody had a kind of a, a question, would the fire department come out and, and look at individual properties? Absolutely. So in, in these 
jurisdictions and fire districts where they have uh, intermix, what I call intermix, it's where the where the brush is intermixed with the structures. Yeah, there's absolutely going to be someone that would be more than happy to help you mm -hmm. determine what you need to do to make your uh, vegetation safe as it relates to those structures. Uh, here in Carpinteria Summerlin, we actually have a wildland fire prevention specialist who will actually go to your place. You call him, he will come to you, he will give you his advice, and uh, he will give you whatever he can do to harden your house, mm -hmm. to harden your structure, so that during a major wildland incident, we, uh, we don't lose that infrastructure. And I think it's important to have the eaves sealed, is that correct? Like, make sure the embers, if they're flying through the air, that they're not coming up underneath the roof and, um, right, you want to make sure that all the eaves are kind of Yeah, so this is, uh, this is something that uh, kind of sits a little bit in a special place for me. In, in, uh, in Glendale, back in the, uh, in, in the late 80s, there was a, a fire called the College Hills Fire. And uh, a lot of st structures that had tile roofs burned to the ground because their eaves were not boxed in. Mm -hmm. Or if they were boxed in, the vents didn't have screens on them. So the embers would go in, they'd get into the attic, they'd catch the attic on fire and the house would burn from the inside out instead of from the outside in, which is what you'd think. So the homeowners of all the 62 homes that were burned or damaged made sure that they took care of that and they haven't had a problem in the College Hills since. Mm -hmm. Not to say they haven't had fires, they just haven't had a problem losing their homes in that area. So yeah, boxing in eaves is really important with some type of non-combustible material, as well as making sure that your attic vents have a tight screen on it so that no ember can get past that screen and burn the house from the attic or the inside out. Mm -hmm. It seems like this season has been a little bit, I guess, safer or better than past seasons. It seems like the Utility companies are, are doing some more preventative uh, actions, like, you know, turning the power out if the wind gets too fast, um, you know, waiting till the wind dies down and then the power goes back on. Is that is that happening more, too? Yeah, that's happening. Um, as far as this season, we really haven't seen the impacts of this season just yet. Mm -hmm. um, but true, uh, at this point in time, we do see a little more activity, but that's not to say that it's not going to kick in later. As far as the utilities, uh, I can speak to Edison in, in one uh, case. They have invested a tremendous amount of money to making sure that they are not the cause of wildland fires in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, what they've done is they've, they've brought in uh, fire experts, uh, people that are educated at a higher level uh, that know how to predict fire behavior. They can predict winds, they can predict uh, humidities, mm -hmm. and they can predict what that, what that impact's gonna have on their infrastructure as far as the wires and the towers that they have. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing now uh, regularly, if they feel that there's enough threat, uh, they shut down the power. Mm -hmm. They'll shut down the grid in that particular area. Mm -hmm. And that way, if a wire gets blown off, if a tree hits a, a wire and it goes into the weeds and starts a fast-moving wildland fire, something similar to what happened in the Thomas fire, you won't have this, this massive amount of uh, devastation caused by a wire. Mm -hmm. and so that's the public safety power shutoff, a PSPS mm -hmm. is what, what uh, they're known as and Edison is, is taking a lot of steps to make sure that happens. Uh, there's two things that you got to remember on that. Um, one, the fire department doesn't have any control over that. Mm -hmm. And two, if you're involved in a PSPS, mm -hmm. you need to have a plan, mm -hmm. right? So if you're on oxygen that needs uh, generating from electricity, you need to have a generator that's going to be able to get you going, make sure your oxygen can completely uh, replenish its system, right, mm -hmm. so that you don't mm -hmm. breathe it down and now, you, now you're now you going to be in a, a bad way. 
And then also, you want to make sure that you have a, a plan should you need to get out of your house. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to have the electricity, so your TV's not going to work, or your 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 dish network, or your uh, direct TV, or your cable TV is not going to be working. And more than likely, Wi-Fi will not work as well. So you need to have a plan to figure out how you're going to get informed. What we recommend is a transistor radio, uh, just a, a little AM, FM, uh, simple weather radio works great. You can mm -hmm. get the weather and you can get information from the local news mm -hmm. over the over the uh, radio. Yeah, I know some folks who um, you know live in the during the east winds. Um, you know the power just went out and it was out for like three days mm -hmm. this last last year. And so more folks I know are are getting generators to be able to stay home. You know at least run the refrigerator and you know the microwave. Yep. So they're not you know stuck in a hotel all of a sudden for indefinitely. Yeah, and then one of the things that we like to stress if you're going to buy a generator is to make sure that the generator is left outdoors so that it could ventilate properly. Uh, they do run pretty clean, but there's still uh, trace amounts of carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. We don't want our people getting poisoned by the exhaust from those generators, so make sure you have enough extension cord to put that thing outside if it's going to power your microwave or your refrigerator. Mm -hmm. What does it take to become a firefighter? Uh, to start with, it takes a lot of dedication. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a person that wants to really be in it for the long haul because it's not something that you just wake up and you flip the switch and you say, okay, I'm going to be a firefighter, and then the next week you're hired. Right. It doesn't work like that at all. The competition's pretty heavy. A lot of people really enjoy uh, the thought of being a firefighter, but mm -hmm. there are not very many people that ever make it. There's For every one or two jobs that are out there, there's probably 300 or 400 people that want that one particular job. That's so, incredible. It's very competitive, so it takes someone who's tenacious. Mm -hmm. uh, it also helps to have some type of uh, education. So there's fire technology that you can get your education in. You can get a bachelor's in uh, fire protection systems. You can even get a master's degree in, in fire administration. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be something that I would recommend. A second to that would be uh, you need to be exposed to the fire service. So mm -hmm. if it looks like a really romantic job when you're watching the news, it's not always romantic. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stress that goes into this job. Mm -hmm. um, there's a tremendous amount of pressure that we feel when we're operating in that environment. And so you have to have the right personality for that. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a very comprehensive background investigation to make sure you have no criminal background because remember, when you're going into a house, you're dealing with people's belongings and mm -hmm. they're not there. Right. So all their precious jewelry, all their precious belongings belong to you as that firefighter. And so we have to have complete confidence that you're going to do the right thing with those belongings. You're going to take care of those people with the standard of what I, I call someone I love, right? Mm -hmm. If it were my mom, if it were my sister, my brother, my dad, I'm going to take care of that, that person's house as if it were my own family members. And so with that, that takes a lot more work. It takes a lot more dedication. Um, so to start off with, yeah, uh, you're going to need your EMT, which is emergency medical technician. Mm -hmm. If you can get your paramedic license, that's even better. A lot of fire departments are requiring paramedic licenses now. And uh, you just got to be tenacious. Take every test you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Get after it. And there's going to be some point and some time when all the stars are going to align and they're going to offer you a position as a, a firefighter. Mm -hmm. And it is... In many ways, it's a it's a medical position. I mean, you're you're you get many more medical calls than you do fire calls. I mean, you're not putting a fire out every day, but you're getting a medical call 
all the time, right? Yeah, that's correct. So I would say anywhere from about 70 to 85%, depending on the jurisdiction, mm -hmm. uh, the calls you run are, uh, have to do with medical. Mm -hmm. They're medical in nature. Mm -hmm. Anywhere from a chest pain to someone not feeling good, uh, anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, anything along the medical front, uh, we have to deal with those. And so you, you have to have medical training. And that's why I say uh, emergency medical technician would be one uh, method of training yourself to get that that certification so that you can operate in that environment. Mm -hmm. do, do firefighters, I mean, maybe this is a silly question, but do firefighters get nervous? I mean, I think of, you know, danger and I just naturally run in the other direction. But you guys are running, you know, towards the towards the danger. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, I'll say this. Um, generally speaking, we are trained really well to deal with the problems at hand, right? Mm -hmm. There's... There's always going to be an incident or two within your career that you're going to feel very nervous and that you're going to feel like you don't have any control. Most of the time we have control of what we're dealing with. But I'll give you a great example. Uh, what happened on 9-11, those firefighters, those 343 firefighters, I guarantee you were nervous. Mm -hmm. They knew what they were involved in. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember watching the documentary and, and following the, the battalion chief around. Those guys had tremendous amounts of nervous energy that they harnessed mm -hmm. and they turned it into something very positive. And obviously thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people that were in the Twin Towers that day survived because of the heroic actions from those firefighters. Were they nervous? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Did they know they were gonna die? I would imagine they did. And I, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd venture to say that a handful of them knew, yeah, this is gonna be the day that I die, mm -hmm. but I'd rather be nowhere else dying in my boots taking care of the public. and. Those, that's what makes them heroes, right? right? I don't right. know, at the, at the moment of truth, if I would be able to do that, I'd like to think that I would, sure. but it doesn't always work like that. And so those, those 343 people that perished on 9-11, um, you gotta tip your hat to them because they truly are the heroes. Uh, that's what the, the fire service is all about, is, is right. sacrificing yourself to make sure that the community is safe. Right, and they really know that that's their calling. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you, you know, you don't go into, you know, oh, I'll go be a fireman because I can't think of what, what else I want to do. Yeah. You know, it's not that kind of position. No, you know, that's right. The training that goes into it and, you know, it's a certain personality type that can... Oh, it's up. absolutely a certain personality type, yep. Mm -hmm. And, and the, so, so you, when you say nervous, there's also adrenaline, right? We mm -hmm. get a, a massive adrenaline rush that occurs when you're in that high-pressure environment. And so what we, what we as the, the people that thrive in that environment are the people that can take that adrenaline and turn it into something positive mm -hmm. as opposed to allowing that adrenaline to turn it into something nervousness uh, related and that would cause you to make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. So you come from a, a firefighting family. Yes, I do. My father was an LA City firefighter. He got hired right after he was uh, served in World War II. He, uh, he realized that he was going to need to support his wife and his new baby. Mm -hmm. And in 1948, he started an L.A. County Fire Department. Didn't like the uh, first call that he went on. Uh, it was a 20-minute response time. He was up in Lake Elizabeth. And he says, uh, there's got to be more action than that. So he got a, uh, in 1950, he, he took the test for the Los Angeles City Fire Department. And in 1976, he retired as a fire captain. Okay. So, yeah. And what, what made you want to go into the same line of work? You know, it's ironic because I grew up going to the fire station during holidays and mm -hmm. like Thanksgiving, we would have the Thanksgiving meal at, at the fire station and it never really hit me. I always thought, wow, this is really cool, but 
I don't know if this is really a career choice for me. Mm -hmm. And I was working in a machine shop one day, and one of the fellow uh, machinists uh, told me he was he was working his last day. It was a Friday. And I said, where are you going to go work? And he says, I'm going to go work at the L.A. County Fire Department, and uh, you're going to be in here sweating behind a machine. And I thought, I don't know if I can do that for 30 years or 40 years. So I, I really got thinking about what he was talking about is, Think about all the benefits of being a firefighter. And I mm -hmm. went home and I told my dad. And my dad had 10 kids. I was number nine out of wow, 10. Wow, 10 kids. Yes, and I was number nine. And uh, I was the first one that actually told him I wanted to be a firefighter. And he, of course, he opened up his arms and he hugged me. And he says, I can't believe one of my kids is finally going to follow me in that profession. And mm -hmm. so sure enough, that was, uh, that was the beginning of me going to Glendale Community College, taking some classes. And then uh, just being very aggressive in the testing process, I came up to uh, Santa Maria, mm -hmm. got a fire academy in 1986. Mm -hmm. And at 20 years old in 1987, I got hired as a firefighter. So real fortunate to get hired that young. Of course, when my father mentoring me and teaching me uh, the finer uh, things of how to get through the process of being a firefighter. And then uh, again, April 20th, 1987 was a, a great day for me. It was a day that I was offered a, a career in the Glendale Fire Department. That's great. So since then, I've uh, I retired from Glendale, and I wanted to get up to uh, the Santa Barbara area, and mm -hmm. there was an opportunity to take the fire chief's uh, test here in Carpentry of Summerlin Fire Protection District, mm -hmm. and I uh, got hired here in 2018, and uh, we've been, uh, my family, we relocated up here. I have other family in the Santa Barbara County area, and so it's just been fantastic. This is a pretty special spot. It really is. Yeah. What do you, where do you see uh, technology going in kind of fire control? And I mean, it's very different now because you don't have the, the men sitting up on a tower on a mountaintop, you know, with binoculars looking for smoke. I mean, those, those old towers are kind of sitting abandoned and surrounded by you know barbed wire fencing so nobody trespasses now it's kind of a a relic where where, where is fire you know control going and now yeah so when it comes to fire control there's a lot of different technologies that are really uh, emerging one of them is the ability to plant fire can or fire watching cameras in these towers that you used to have somebody up there with their binoculars you know 24 hours a day doing fire watch. Well, mm -hmm. these cameras are so crystal clear HD now they can you can have one person watching maybe 25 different cameras, which mm -hmm. is just fantastic. So we can get out ahead of those early. Mm -hmm. Those are mostly in a wildland situation, but there's also a lot of technology that relates to other ways we we control fire. Um, there's in Menlo Park they're 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 just uh, real proud of, of the fact that they have a hands-free uh, forward-looking infrared device it's basically a thermal imaging camera mm -hmm. and it mounts on their uh, it's really like next next level but it mounts on their helmet and there's a camera and they can see through the smoke wow. it's absolutely amazing so that's for structure fires and and the like um, there's also a lot of technology as it relates to just getting your iPad mm -hmm. involved right mm -hmm. so there's uh, EPCRs, electronic patient care records, mm -hmm. that were what, what used to take so much longer. Now we can we can report data mm -hmm. through electronic patient care reporting, and then they can do a handoff to the hospital when we hand the patient over. Uh, and then then lastly, just something as simple as a product called Tablet Command. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps us command fires. It helps us see in real time through an automatic vehicle locator (AVL), mm -hmm. and you can actually see on a Google map or an Apple map, you can actually see the, the vehicles arriving to the scene. 
on Tablet Command, and it allows the incident commander to have much more situational awareness, keeping people safer, understanding where the fire's going. Uh, that's Tablet Command. That's, that's something that we're uh, just starting to involve ourselves with right now here in, in Carpentry of Summerlin. And then uh, probably the most impressive thing, I would say, is, is the wildland prediction models, mm -hmm. right? So in, in the San Diego area, there's a lot of universities that are working together as a consortium to build this thing. Uh, it's, it's basically a predictive modeling. And if you get, put in the inputs, it'll tell you based on the brush through, they use LIDAR, mm -hmm. they use all kinds of weather uh, observations and the time of day. They, it's just incredible the technology that they have and they're almost spot on. Interesting. We've, we've looked at some of these things as they, as they go through uh, different uh, stages of fires. And when you look at the prediction and where it actually went, mm -hmm. they're almost exact. Interesting. So that's, that's something that's really helping us make determinations uh, based on, you know, we ought to evacuate an entire community. That's a big decision when you yeah. start thinking about that, yeah. right? A lot of things are occurring at the same time. Law enforcement needs to go knocking on doors. We need to make sure that everybody in an electronic format can find out from their cell phone or mm -hmm. through the internet or through their emails. How do we do that? It's all done through technology. So technology is changing the game for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about the tragedy of the Paradise Fire up north, I and mean, that was just horrific. Yes. And then the Thomas Fire and the Woolsey Fire. You think with the technologies that the, I don't know if it would be the fire department's role, but you know, some entity could go in and say, okay, this area just based on the models needs to be cleared out or just thinned out or something like that. You think that's kind of where it's headed? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, again, it, we can't predict weather mm -hmm. patterns. They're pretty consistent from time to time, but mm -hmm. there's always that one-off weather pattern. Mm -hmm. um, and then if that one-off one creates a problem, how do we deal with it? Well, we can deal with it in real time but we would much rather deal with it before the fire starts. And so that's what a lot of these, these technologies are helping us to do. Mm -hmm. So how does, uh, how does Carpinteria work with other departments in the area? So in Santa Barbara County, we have uh, what's called the Santa Barbara Fire Chiefs Association, of mm -hmm. which I'm the president right now. Oh, wow. um, that, that is a, a very tight-knit group of fire chiefs that get together on a regular basis. And we, we talk about how we're gonna deal with our issues, whatever the issues are. But I can, I can speak specifically to two fire departments, Carpinteria Summerlin Fire Department, which is the one I work at, mm -hmm. and the Montecito Fire Protection District, which is our next door neighbor just to the west. Mm -hmm. And we have a collaborative effort. We've dropped our borders between our two agencies um, and we respond to, we bring the closest, most appropriate resource to that incident at any given time. Mm -hmm. The hope is that we would get that in Santa Barbara County and the greater region. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're working toward right now through, uh, through a dispatch center that would allow us to not have any borders between us. If, if the Carpinteria Summerlin uh, resource is closer than the Montecito resource, we're gonna take it. If it's vice versa, they're gonna take it. Whoever's the closest, we get the best service doing it that way through a collaborative effort. So we do have a very tight-knit group up here. Mm -hmm. And as it relates to dealing with major incidents, we do have what's called a uh, incident management team, an IMT. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, not, it's, it's, we can deal with pretty complex incidents, but if it gets too complex, we'll call in the, the feds or the state to help us run that incident. But at a lower level, you know, and, and definitely within the first 12 hours of a major incident, we have all the uh, tools in the toolbox to deal with any type of incident that we, might come across based on the fact that we have qualified and certified people that know how to deal with these types of incidents. So 
if you're collaborating with Montecito, they would the system would know that maybe the Montecito truck is closer to that emergency than the Carpinteria truck. That's that correct. Yeah, and that's done through AVL as we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, automatic vehicle location. Mm -hmm. It's all done by GPS. Interesting. And so we can actually see on a map where our resources are. And if we need to dispatch a resource, we know it's already closer. So we just dispatch them and, and it's flawless. It's seamless. It just takes takes the minimal amount of time to figure it out. And it's, it's what's best for the community. I know if I were, if my mother, my sister were living in, in this area and you know my brother, my you name it, whoever that loved one is, mm -hmm. they're going to get the best service mm -hmm. based on the fact that we create policies that allow for the best possible care. And we believe that that, that AVL system and dropping the borders is the best possible scenario for our communities. That seems to make perfect sense because, you know, if a, one truck is a mile away, ah, oh, we don't, sorry, got to yeah. call Carpinteria, you know, yes. even though they might be 10 miles away. Mm -hmm. That seems to make, you know, perfect sense. Yes. And we also have what's called the Master Mutual Aid System. Uh, the Master Mutual Aid System works within the entire state of California. And we help each other out. So if mm -hmm. Northern California is having a fire, we send strike teams of resources. A strike team is basically five fire engines and a battalion chief. Mm -hmm. uh, we send them up to the north. And when we have our big event down here, they send them south. And so we do work together. There can't be a fire, a fire station on every corner like Starbucks. <laughs> right? right, that just doesn't work. Right. So when when we have those big events, we call for those resources early, and they they come our way, and they assist us in, in dealing with any major incident that we have. There were resources all over the Western United States on that Thomas fire. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there were what Montana and Nevada and mm -hmm. Oregon all came to fight that. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Well, Chief Fish, thank you so much for being a guest on Farm Talk. We greatly appreciate it. This has been incredibly informative, and I. I think our viewers will uh, have learned a lot and uh, appreciate what you had to say. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be sure to check in to our next edition of Farm Talk. Uh, you can find us on Audible, Amazon, Apple iPlay, and wherever you find your podcasts. This edition was brought to you by Escrow Hub and The Money Store. And be sure to check in for our next edition. Chief Fish, thank you so much for being a guest on Farm Talk. I know that our listeners are going to have learned a great deal from what you had to say, and we greatly appreciate it.